You are listening to Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. I'm your host, Pat Ivey. And I'm your co-host, Mackenzie. And thanks for tuning in to another episode. Culture of accountability is when a lot of your athletes are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're supposed to be doing how they're supposed to be doing it. Competence. Do your athletes know what they're supposed to be doing so that they can do what they're supposed to be doing? Are they committed? Will they see it from the start to the finish? Will they complete the task? Are they consistent? Dr. Starla Ivey is a collegiate professional who most recently was an assistant professor at the University of Missouri in the personal financial planning department for over 13 years. She has taught courses with enrollments as large as 500 students per semester. She has been very involved in student affairs and has also worked with specific populations such as student athletes, honor students, first generational students, international students, at-risk students, and military students. She has written an educational workbook on financial planning that schools adopt. She has also been an academic advisor in a Division I athletics department, working with many major sports teams, including men's and women's basketball. And she's also married to a guy named Dr. Pat Ivey. So, Welcome to the show, <laughs> Dr. Starla Ivy. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Great to have you on the show. Can you, well, I know a little bit about you, I think, but can you tell <laughs> our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, um, as you've kind of mentioned, I've been a um, assistant professor at the University of Missouri for probably 13 years or so. Um, that was a great position. Um, I was able to help students learn about personal finance. So we talked about everything from budgeting. We talked about credit cards. We talked about buying a house, buying a car, buying insurance, grown-up things. So for college students, um, some of them were not as much engaged if they were a freshman student, but if they were a senior, they saw that um, this information was very poignant to them because they were going to be in the real world. Their parents were going to kick them um, off of their checks and they were going to be responsible for their own budgets. Um, so that was really a great um, experience. Um, I've had anywhere from upwards of 500 students in those classes, which has been really fun. Um, I've done academic advising. I've done so many different student affairs positions at the University of Missouri. I've worked in the College of um, Agriculture at the University of Missouri. I've worked um, also in the, in the accounting departments, um, but I've had some odd and end jobs. So I've worked at the uh, Missouri Division of Highway Safety, um, doing some computer things for them. I've also worked at the um, Missouri Department of Corrections um, in their accounting department. That's really interesting. We could get into some good stories about that, um, being a female going into the correctional facilities for the first time in my life as a undergraduate. <laughs> um, 
But all of this kind of corresponds with, I love helping people. I love being of service. I, I love seeing the aha moment. And I think whatever position you look back on me having, um, that was the thread that kind of put those all together is that it was a service. It was helping somebody. It was uplifting someone. Um, it was just being a service to mankind. And it sounds like it from the myriad of jobs that, like you said, you've had. Um, so our last episode, um, you may recall, I called our kind of string of episodes here, the table book tour um, in honor of Pat's book that's coming out. And you so happen to have written a chapter. Yes. And so as a professor, you can speak to the powerful effect of reaching more than just one-on-one, -on -one. you know, like you said, you had classes that were 500 or more. And so it's a one-to-many kind of message that you're getting out there. And I think that was one of the priorities that Pat has placed on this book is that it's a way to have the one-to-many conversation through a book. And so how important was it to you to be able to contribute a chapter on such an important thing like personal finance to his newest book coming out? Um, anytime that you have a something of substance going out and speaking to young adults, um, you always have to talk about finances, whether that's being aware of the amount of student debt that they have, um, because most of them are not even thinking at that moment, oh gosh, I've got to pay this back. I may have to prolong paying my bills. I may not be able to get married. Um, I may not be able to get a root canal. Um, I may not be able to afford children because I have these student loans. And I think just anytime that you speak to any population of young adults, you've got to start them thinking about their finances and how are you going to pay for these things? Um, how are you going to, you know, pay the bills? You want to buy a big car, um, but can you afford the gas and the insurance? Um, one of the things that my parents used to tell me all the time that I hated was that there's more to driving a car than just driving a car. I hated that all the time. Um, but it goes back to, you've got to be able to understand you've got to maintain the car. That's money. You've got to put gas in the car. That's money. You've got to insure the car. That's money. And if you don't have those things, you can't drive the car. So that was just a big deal with me is just talking about finances to any groups of young adults. Really? That's really good. You mentioned something about student loans. What can you tell our listeners about maybe some secrets as far as uh, paying back those student loans that do have to be paid back one day? <laughs> My ears they, perked up, by the way. <laughs> they do have to be paid back. Yes, indeed. Um, you can't really get around that. Um, even if you file for bankruptcy, um, you can't dismiss those federal student loans in general. So they're just going to be following you around forever. Um, if you do run into financial difficulties, there are things that you can do to you know, reduce your payments or to, you know, have your payments um, waited, waited out for a little bit of time so that you can have maybe a couple of months, three months, four months um, to get back on your feet again to start paying those student loans. Um, there are also great programs where you can do public service and get those student loans forgiven. Um, it may take you 10 years, but if you can get those student loans forgiven, that is a great way that, you know, you don't have to worry about paying those back. Um, and you're doing a great service for your community or your city or your state or whatever it may be. Um, 
Another way is before you start getting into it, think about how much you're taking out in loans. Um, <laughs> can I pay it back? It, it's kind of like, okay, now before you start taking out loans, think about it. Um, it's so easy to pull out $10,000 and live off of that. But you have to remember if you're living like a king now, you're probably going to live like a pauper when you get out of school and making a lot of money, but you've got to pay back those loans that you were really enjoying life while you were in college, buying a new car, getting a great apartment. And now you're wreaking havoc on your finances with that. Um, so my big thing is to think about what you're doing to yourself, your future self, write a note to your future self. I didn't take this, you know, take out the amount that you need and actually, you know, get a job. Oh gosh, I said the bad word. Oh my gosh. <laughs> get a job while you're in school. But I know for student athletes, that's a hard thing. That's a no, no. Um, because depending upon the time frame, um, when your season is, you may never have an opportunity to really get a good job, which is, you know, really hard. And so you're really depending upon those student loans. Agreed that it is very difficult for student athletes to find any kind of time, um, you know, even in their off season or the summertime to try to make up some of that income, you know, and then distribute it over the year. Um, so what are what are some things that student athletes now or people, you know, kids who are going to be student athletes, how can they begin thinking or what kind of habits can they start forming now to make sure that they are constantly thinking of their future selves and setting their future self up for success rather than a lifetime of student loans? Well, one of the things is just looking at the price tags. Um, when my kids were little, um, I'd have them go out and pay for things. Um, we'd go out and they'd buy a Littlest Pet Shop toy and they'd have $5. And so the littlest pet shop was $4 and 99 cents. And I'd tell them they can't buy it. And they're like, I have $5. What's wrong? And so as parents, um, we have to teach our kids about, Hey, look at the price tag. And then you've got to add tax onto that. You need more than $5 to buy the item that is $4 and 99 cents. Um, I know I might be guilty of that. I just grab the item and leave out of the store and I don't take the time to look at all the different alternatives at the different price tags. Um, or you might want a certain pair of jeans. You have to have, you know, $105 jeans. Well, $30 jeans may work just as well to cover your body <laughs> as the $105 jeans. Um, or you don't have to have the latest and greatest iPhone. I know, sorry, Apple, I, I said bad things again also. Um, but you don't have to have the 11. You could get by with the six, in fact. Um, so there, there are ways that you can save money. Um, but sometimes keeping up with the Joneses is the biggest thing that college students want to do. And I'm like, look at your options. See what else that you can do. Um, and those students in, in real life, um, when they're looking at buying all the latest and greatest things, they're probably racking up a whole lot of debt. So if you look at them five years down the line, 10 years down the line, they're still paying for that iPhone. <laughs> and yeah. we're on iPhone 20 and they're still paying for that iPhone 11 that they got when they were undergraduate student. So look at the options, get a budget, um, you know, write down how much money you have coming in and, and some of the things that you want to do, how much is rent, um, how much is going out? Um, how much is the movies? What you want to do? Do you have enough money for that? 
And so just running the numbers from there. That was going to be my next question. And that was about budgeting. I know that you write in the book, what are you leaving on the table? You write specifically about budgeting. Can you go into that in just a little bit more detail? Yes. Yes. Um, a lot of the time we, it's not the big dollar items that kill us. It's the little dollar items that do the most damage. So that may be Starbucks. Um, think about the time. I know when I was at Mizzou, the line would be wrapped around Memorial Union. You got to think about how much time you're spending in the line for Starbucks um, because you might be missing some class time while you're in line for Starbucks. So that kind of hurts also. Um, That's not a monetary trade-off right now, but it's another trade-off. But if you're buying a $4 latte every day um, of the week before you go to your two o'clock class, we're talking about you're spending $20 every week on these lattes. Um, And then if you look at it over a month, you know, you're spending a lot more money on lattes that you're not actually putting in your budget. This is kind of money that kind of seeps through your hands. It kind of just trickles through like water. You don't pay attention to it that much. And you're like, well, what happened to the money? And you don't have a trace of that. Same thing about maybe going to, um, you know, out to lunch, Taco Bell, McDonald's, something like that, you know, $4 here, $10 here, it kind of trickles in. And so thinking about even those small things that you buy, um, maybe you can, you know, if you have a Keurig or the holidays are coming up, you can maybe ask your parents for a Keurig. You can get your coffee all the time and then you don't have to spend that $4. You got your home brew all the time. Um, (laughs) So which is nice and it'll save you a lot more money than the $4 every single day. Um, Or you can make lunch at home bring that with you. Or if you like, you know, Gatorades, water, bring a water bottle with you. Um, that'll save you a lot of money. Um, I notice kids, you know, as they get a little bit older, they start that trend where they're like, you know, I I was spending too much my freshman year. Um, I'm now, you know, a junior or senior, I need to save some of this money. I, you know, I let too much money go by. And um, it's just the little things, just like a little bit here, a little bit there, a candy bar here, um, coffee there. It just trickles through your hands and you don't keep track of that. And before you know it, you might have had $20 in your pocket, but then by the end of the week, you have nothing. And that was your money for the weekend to, you know, go see a movie or, or go out and buy a book or something like that. So budgeting really helps with that. The, you know, the more that you can be meticulous about that. And then also, um, I know it sounds strange, but that envelope theory or jar theory, I'd rather put my money in a jar, but once the money is gone out of that envelope, there's nothing left. Um, And so if you can really go by those strict standards, um, that will help you understand how you spend. Now, have some money someplace else stashed that you can use so that's not the end of the month and you're starving. Um, But realize, okay, wow, I'm running through this much money in a week or in three days. Wow, I've already used up my $20. What am I going to do for the rest of the month? Um, And if you can look at it, you know, on a daily basis, it will help you out than looking at it sometimes on a monthly basis until you get really good at doing your budgets. 
And so this, the discipline and kind of the meticulous nature that you were speaking about, can you speak a little bit on how that magnifies over time? Because I know, you know, college kids right now, they're thinking, well, I don't have that much money, so I can't really save that much money. But like you said, you have plenty of experience like in a state correctional facility and their accounting department. So even though you get more money, it doesn't negate the the need for that kind of meticulous nature with money because all the money in the world, you can still be a disaster if you don't know where any of it's going. Oh, true. Very true. I mean, you almost, you know, every month you hear about a athlete, um, a star athlete, um, whether they're, you know, soccer, baseball, football, basketball, going broke. Um, and you're like, how in the world, if you get a $10 million signing bonus and you make, you know, $50 million over five years, how in the world can you be broke? Um, the habits that you have when you're younger, you carry those same habits over when you have more money. So if you just spend, spend, spend when you're younger, just because you have $10 million, it doesn't mean that your habits change overnight because you have more money in your account. You believe that that money is going to be there just like you thought that $20 was going to last you all week and it only lasts three days. You thought the $10 million was going to last you, but it didn't last you that long. And that's money that has to last for a lifetime. Average span of NFL, I think it's three to five years maybe. Um, and so that money that you get for three to five years now has to last for the rest of your lifetime. So you can't just spend, spend, spend early and then expect for there to be money um, waiting for you, a golden pot somewhere. Um, not everybody has the golden pot like Allen Iverson. He had some people looking out for him. So... <laughs> Make sure you have a good financial advisor that's going to give you good advice. This podcast is sponsored by Sorenex Exercise Equipment. Since 1980, Sorenex has been a family-owned business responsible for legendary innovations and training solutions that have changed the face of strength training. Today, Sorenex is the most sought-after strength brand for professional teams, colleges, high schools, and military units. During this process of growth, our clients have become an extended family to us, part of our brotherhood, our culture. We want to thank you, our customers, friends, and family for being the foundation on which Sorenex is built. We promise to do our best to continue to serve you with the best strength training equipment and service in the industry. Speaking kind of on that note, as, as a follow-up question, do you recommend that college students, is it worth, I guess, paying for the financial advice or are there enough free resources out there? And, you know, I mean, the internet is a free expanse of knowledge. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids are like, well, you know, my parents have this guy or the pros have some guy that handles their money. Is it worth, do you think investing in a financial advisor early before you've, you know, accumulated a substantial amount of money? Um, one of the things that the University of Missouri has done is they have an office for financial success. And so it is free for students and faculty. So as a student, if you had a financial question of some sort, you're looking at getting married and you and your spouse 
are now going to be sharing accounts and you want to go through this information with someone, um, that is good. Um, and it's a free service, or maybe you had a whole life insurance policy that one of your grandparents bought for you when you were a baby. And now you want to know, should you trade that in and get the money or should I keep the whole life insurance policy? So some universities are offering these free services on campus for individuals. And that's a great start. Um, campuses also, um, not all campuses, but a lot of campuses are offering a personal finance class. Once again, um, Mizzou, I know, offers a personal finance class because I taught it for years um, that would go over the basics of all kinds of personal finance. And so you really didn't need a financial planner at that point in time, but at least some idea of, okay, where am I going to make more money at? Am I going to make more money if I put my money in a checking account or maybe in a bond mutual fund? What's the differences? What's the risk? What if I put some money in the stock market? Is the stock market only for those that are rich? No. You know, as a student, you can go on the stock market. You can buy, you know, very cheap stocks um, at three dollars. Um, and then you're part of the stock market. So, you know, a lot of campuses, I know Texas Tech, Utah Valley, um, they have um, offices for financial success that provide information to students. So not only can a student come in and get information, but they go out and do presentations um, for other companies or excuse me, for campuses. Um, and then if you're lucky enough to, you know, sign a great contract, or if you're lucky enough to, you know, get a great job when you're out of school, um, hopefully you have some type of financial background that you've taken a class. You don't have to remember everything, but it's good to have some ideas about the questions. Ooh, I remember this. I should ask about this. You don't have to remember everything, but it's good that, you know, you have some questions in the back of your mind. Oh, I heard about whole life and there's term life. What's the difference between those two? And there's some other kinds. Um, tell me the differences between the two. Um, so if you have a little bit of knowledge, it'll keep your financial planners on their toes. Um, you have to be wary of your financial planner. You have to know um, you can't just give them your money um, and then just leave it there. Um, <laughs> there's been situations where financial planners have, unfortunately, basically ripped off um, players in the NFL, NBA, um, soccer leagues, uh, women's NBA, um, because they haven't really been paying attention to that or you get involved in Ponzi schemes. So make sure that you have a good advisor. And one of the things that I always um, tell people is that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If they're guaranteeing a great rate, it is probably going to end at some point with tears. With your background and working with student athletes, if you, um, what do you think is the, largest barrier to maybe student athletes wanting to understand more about personal finance? Um, well, one of the things is that they have so much going on in their life as a student athlete. Um, their time is really taken by classes, by tutors, by, you know, performing in games or events um, and practice. And it's really hard to find that time to go in and get extra assistance or learn more 
um, about finances unless you're taking a class on that. So, you know, for student athletes, definitely I'd say if you have the ability to take a class that works into your class schedule and the classes that you have um, to make sure that you're making satisfactory progress towards graduation, I would take one because it's not only going to help you now, it's going to help you in the future. Um, I always told my students that I dared them to tell me that they will never use anything in my class. I know you've had classes where you say, I'll never use this again. I'll never see this again. That's not this class. That's not the class. That's not the personal finance class. We talk about taxes. As soon as you go out and buy something, you're going to be taxed on it. You buy orange juice. And if in your state they tax food, then you're going to have to pay a tax on that. Or if you buy notebooks or pens, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. Or as soon as you start making a living, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. So there's a lot of things that you can get from a personal finance class um, that they may not be able to put into their schedules. Um, because let's face it, they're, they're busy. They're busy at their trade. They're busy um, studying. They're busy being student athletes, even just regular students. It's hard when you're working also to, you know, be involved in other things because you're just so busy in college with, you know, being a college student. Um, so, you know, that is one of the barriers. Um, it's sometimes hard, you know, to get a job, um, depending upon when your, um, practices are, um, when your actual games are, um, in order to actually, you know, earn a living, um, and then also budgeting out that money. So the best thing is if you have a scholarship check, if you get a little bit of money back on that, think of that as your paycheck and how do you divvy that out every month? And if you have some place on your campus that will help you out with that, go to them. That's going to be a great free resource for you. Um, but make sure and check that it fits in your schedule. I don't want anybody calling me and saying, Hey, I tried to do this and I was supposed to be at practice and I went in to go see the financial advisor and now I'm in trouble. So make sure it fits in your schedule. Make sure you do that. One of the hot topics today is name, image, and likeness. And lots of politicians are involved. NCAA is involved. And it's the, the conversation revolves around athletes being paid for their name, image, and likeness. And I personally have some concerns about this, just not about paying athletes uh, for their name, image, and likeness, but the money that those athletes will receive and what they will do with that money. One of the things that you often teach about is compounding interest. So let's give a hypothetical situation. Let's say an athlete earned an extra $100 a month. Can you, I don't know, you may not have your calculator with you. Oh, I but, do. Oh, you do. I'm sorry. You always do. I always do. <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain how compounding interest works? And I know you had an example of like, if you invest so much time up until 26, or if you started at 26 until retirement, how, can you just talk a little bit about that? Okay. Compound interest. We'll talk about, um, or look at the difference between compound interest and putting the money underneath your pillow. So we'll look at two, just an extreme there. Um, if you put a hundred dollars underneath your pillow, um, let's say every single month, 
for 12 months, then that's $1,200 that you'll have underneath your pillow at the end of the year. Compound interest will allow you to have more than $1,200 underneath your pillow because you'll earn interest not only on the $100 that you're putting into your account, but then any other interest that you're earning, you earn interest on that. I know I've used that term too much right now, (laughs) but in essence, what it means is that instead of putting your money underneath a pillow or in a jar or in a checking account that doesn't offer that much interest, um, at the end of the year, you'd only have $1,200. If you put it in an account where you earn um, compound interest, you can have $1,300, depending upon that interest rate that you earn at the end of the year. And the difference between that is that interest, but then it's compounded. So that means you earn interest on the money that you put in the account and then also any interest you've already earned, which is great. It it looks very magical. It's almost like um, building a snowman Um, since we have snow now and it's it's looking so wintry and beautiful. um, If you put together a snowman, you start with that very small ball and then you keep rolling it in the snow and you keep rolling it in the snow. Well, you add snow on top of the snow that's already there And then the little bit of snow that you keep putting on, you add more snow. So by the time you're done, you have this huge ball of snow to make a snowman. That's compound interest. I mean, it's exciting. It's fun. Um, You don't have to have that much money to put in in an account, in a mutual fund, um, to put in the stock market. Um, You know, many people often think, oh, I've got to have a lot of money in order to do these things. You don't. You don't have to have a lot of money in order to get involved in the stock market or in order to do mutual funds or in order to just invest on a regular basis. Um, You just have to have the mind frame that I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put in $1 every month or $5 or whatever you have. Um, The hardest part is putting that money um, someplace else, not your pocket but someplace else that you won't bother it. That's the hardest thing. Once you've accomplished that and you start doing that on a regular basis, the money works hard for you. You don't have to work hard for your money. And that's the great thing about compound interest is that the money is working for you. That's how you know that you are very good at what you do because you just said compound interest is magical and it's fun and exciting. (laughs) So there are not that many people out there who would say that. So it gives all of our listeners confidence that you are not only very good at what you do, but also very passionate about what you do. Um, So on that note, though, we are going to begin wrapping this up. We would like to, um, if you can tell the listeners where they can either find more about you or if they have questions, how can they contact you? Okay. Um, you can email me. Um, I'm always up for emails. Um, that's always great um, to, you know, intertwine with people and then find out their interest um, and help answer some of their questions or forward it on to someone else that can um, help them um, with more pressing issues. Um, but that email is my name. Starla Ivy, so S T A R L A I V as in Victor E Y, the at sign gmail.com. So it's just my my name um, at gmail.com. Um, I also have a LinkedIn. 
um, that is just Starla Ivy. So you can find me there and, and ask questions and look up information. But I'm always willing to, you know, talk to people, um, get their understandings about finance and, um, you know, trade secrets, trade information, you know, let's see what you know. Let's see what I know. We're not trying to one up each other, but we're trying to make the money work for us and not us work for our money. Love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. And to all of our listeners, we hope that you have a great holiday season. We'll be finishing part three of the table tour after the first of the year. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sets and Reps, where we provide the performance edge. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Soranex Exercise Equipment. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find show notes and more at beyondsetsandreps.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D-S-E-T-S-A-N-D-R-E-P-S dot com.